Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Daniel Vaughn from Texas Monthly coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He's a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene, Matt Harris. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well, sir. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, the owners of Boss Cat Kitchen announced that they are bringing 10 sushi to an office building that is across the street from Boss Cat Kitchen on Mid Lane. This will open sometime next year. Now, there's a 10 sushi in California already, and it's kind of known for doing sushi and some other dishes. They've got some Thai dishes, some Chinese dishes, other flavors that go along with the sushi. Uh, But for this new location, they have recruited Gary Lee, chef and owner of 93 Till in Montrose and a former underbelly sous chef to help them roll out some new small plates that'll be integrated into the menu. Matt, I say all that by way of introduction to ask you, what do you think about 10 Sushi's prospects in that River Oaks district, Afton Oaks, Highland Village kind of area? Uh, I, I certainly can see the path for success. Couple of things that you said. One, Boscat Kitchen. I, I think they have a very identifiable brand. They're part of that neighborhood already. This is a concept that has uh, been successful. I chatted with some California friends. Sadly, none of them were able to give me any first-person intel. But the other thing that you said too that really piqued my interest was involving Gary Lee. Uh, creating some shareable plates. So I think the combination of the brand with Boss Cat already being there in the neighborhood and a little bit of that local flavor with Gary Lee is a, is a solid recipe for success. No, I, I agree with you. And when I talked to John Reed, who's the CEO for Boss Cat, he talked about something they learned in California, which is that their customers like their experience, their customer service, the atmosphere, presentation, all of that. And, and whether that's burgers and steaks at Boss Cat Kitchen or General So's chicken and sushi at Ten Sushi, it, it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't matter. The food has to be good at both places, but that the customers are coming for the complete experience, not just for the food. And so when they can bring that boss cat experience to another concept, they can achieve success. Uh, I would say well said. Uh, I would also say that I struggle to think about somewhere that's had success that doesn't do both of those things well. At some point, if if the food doesn't stand up or if the service doesn't stand up, the concept will suffer. And when you when you do both of those things, then you have a chance. Right. And I, and I think it comes into the area at an interesting time in the market. You know, Nobu opened a couple of years ago. That's a little higher, you know, a little, a little higher end than, than maybe what Tensushi aspires to. Uchiko is going to open on Post Oak later this year. Again, you know, it's got that 
maybe more of a food focus. And then, you know, right down the street is raw sushi, which is a party and known for their happy hour. And, and I think if anything, you know, if I'm raw sushi, I think I'd be nervous because I, my, my sense, my very limited sense is that 10 sushi will bring that kind of lively atmosphere, but with better food. Well, I'm not going to disagree with your limited sense being either limited or being correct. <laughs> that's, that's very generous of you. And also, I, I think it's worth noting, you know, you mentioned Gary Lee as being a positive contribution to this. You know, 93 Till has been one of the more pleasant surprise openings this year just for its, you know, its diversity, its quality, its atmosphere. I think if Gary can bring some of that locally sourced aspect, you know, some of the creativity that he's shown at that restaurant to 10 sushi, that's all to the good. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, a smart move by the boss cat group. They have invested in Houston and, and I am happy to support that sort of, they've put the roots down. They've made the investment on the food side, on the service side, they have a brand. And uh, I, I'm not going to be surprised if I find myself at Ten Sushi. Not going to lie, Daddy. <laughs> no, I. I mean, I don't. Is it going to get me away from my, you know, twenty-two dollars seven-piece sushi lunch Katarabata? Probably not. Will I go and check it out for sure? And and I do have the sense that like, you know, a couple of small plates and some nigiri at happy hour with a cocktail or two could be really fun. And, and I think, you know, for all of those reasons, I think it's it's on the right track. And I'll be really interested to see how it all comes together. And I, I look forward to dining there uh, sometime in the spring of 2022. Ready. All right. Let us move on to topic number two. Peli Peli has come to the end of its run. It will close this weekend and give way to Mozambique, a Portuguese-inspired restaurant with locations in South Africa and Zambia. I guess we should we should put a pin in Peli Peli. Do you have any particularly fond memories of dining there? Certainly one would be just the vivaciousness of, of Paul, the former executive chef. Just was a big personality. And I thought the restaurant reflected that, you know, big flavors, big ideas. So no real recent memories, but certainly I think that's at the forefront of my mind. Right. I mean, I remember going to the original Peli Peli in Vintage Park for the first time. You know, Thomas Wynn, who was a partner of theirs and has been on the show a couple of times, was very persistent in sort of persuading me that I needed to make the drive and, and go out there. And it was an unexpected surprise. You know, the Bobuti, the the skewer on the, the hanging skewer with the filet mignon, the the uh, sticky toffee pudding, you know, all of those different flavors, big flavors, bright decor, really vibrant. And, and like you said, I mean, Paul Friedman, uh, very energetic, you know, big personality, you know, almost a, a missionary kind of quality to him. And I've watched them grow. You know, they opened in the Galleria, they opened in Katy, uh, they opened in the Woodlands. And then to kind of watch them evolve into a more casual, maybe more traditionally South African flavors uh, with the rise of the, the hiring of Ryan Stewart 
you know, it's just, it's been an interesting moment. And of course, you know, Thomas very famously on this, uh, we talked about this on the podcast was like, once asked me, how do we become a cool restaurant? And I said, look like that. I don't think that's your path. Right. But people really love what you do. They love your service. They love the atmosphere. They like the food. Be happy with that, you know, and and don't worry about whether or not you're a cool restaurant. I don't, I don't know that that's the answer he was looking for, but in a way it was sort of free and it allowed Peli Peli to be Peli Peli. Yes, sir. I uh, will, I will say uh, I I did take the opportunity to uh, dig into Mozambique a little bit. I find the menu very approachable. I find it very interesting. And if if this is a step to sort of re-spark my interest, curiosity uh, in the former Peli Peli, I will say that they've been successful. No, I, I agree. And and I I looked at the Mozambique menu too. It's kind of known for its peri-peri chicken. And of course, Ryan Stewart is kind of the tie that binds here because he, he operated some locations of Mozambique in South Africa. He's now in America. They're going to, he's going to be the CEO of their American operations and, and oversee their growth here. You know, peri-peri chicken is something that's popular all over the world. There are certainly restaurants that serve it in Houston, but it hasn't really become a phenomenon. And so maybe Mozambique is the brand that, that makes that happen. Certainly. And, you know, on a more global scale, don't sleep on South Africa. The food scene there is really up and coming and, and would expect to hear more about that country in the next few years. You heard it here first. That's that's good to know. And I think kind of speaks to the potential for Mozambique to to really make a splash here. I, I agree. agree. All right. And then topic number three, Daddy's Chicken Shack, a restaurant from... California is plotting its national growth strategy through Houston. It's going to open a flagship location in the Heights at the corner of Shepherd and 11th. That will be sort of the template for all of its future growth. Uh, I think the menu is kind of interesting. They have different spice levels, you know, Nashville, Sambal, a couple others. And then they have a really uh, an interesting vegan option which is coconut curry brined cauliflower. So I think, you know, not many, not many chicken sandwich restaurants with a vegan option. So that's, uh, that's kind of daddy's chicken. I don't know. What do you think? Will you be headed to daddy's chicken shack when it opens to try a sandwich? Daddy, my first question is, did they consult you about naming their restaurant after you? (laughs) Well, you know, that's, I, I think you're really the only person who calls me that, right? There's, there's another friend of ours who's kind of known by that nickname. So they, they may want to consult with him about whether they have his permission or they owe him some sort of royalty. I'm happy to send two cease and desist letters. You just tell me. <laughs> but we, yeah, we'll get the lawyers right on that. We're kidding, Daddy's Hot Chicken. This is a joke. We, right. We don't have enough money to sue them. Right. Well, and, and I think we, we've talked about this fairly recently, if memory serves, that, you know, when is enough hot chicken enough hot chicken? It is certainly a trend that is uh, not just making its way in Houston, but making its way across the country. And, and I, I think we'll see if, if, if the chicken stands up, there's room. And if it doesn't, then I'm not sure it's because of the trend. Yeah, I, I think that's right. You know, it'll be evaluated on its own terms. 
just like all of the other hot chicken restaurants that are that are making their way into the market, whose names I have uh, I have completely blanked on. There's a few, a few, and, and more coming, and and not small investments either. I mean, multiple locations is a real. Uh, so it'll be interesting to sort of watch this over the next couple of years. Right. I mean, none more, maybe none more sort of publicly than than Dave's Hot Chicken, another California-based restaurant uh, that's already committed to six locations. We'll see the first one in West Chase. There's one in Spring. They've got uh, several other locations in the works. And there's not a specific location for Hattie B's yet from Nashville, but I, I've spoken to one of their representatives. They acknowledge that they're interested in the Houston market. And at some point they're coming. So, you know, it's, it's sort of all of these other sort of out of town options need to sort of get into the market while they can, because once Hattie Beast comes, it's look, look the hell out. I think that's right. That's a, uh, that's a game changer. And I do think they're coming, let's say maybe 2023. Right. I, I, I think that's right. I think they're in the process of identifying locations and, trying to sign some leases. And then once they do, however long it takes them to sort of get through permitting and, and training and all that stuff. But yeah, end of, end of 2022, beginning of 2023, I, I think we'll have at least one Hattie Bees in Houston. And then from there, sky's the limit. Oh, happy day. <laughs> all right, Matt, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Matt, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about Herbe. This is the new fast casual restaurant from Hugo Ortega and Tracy Vaught. We know them for Hugo's, Caracol, Sochi, and Backstreet Cafe. So this is their, their first really casual concept. It opened in Uptown Park in the former Cafe Express space. So right near Etoile and Saint Grand Thai and Flower Child. Matt, you and I had lunch there on opening day. And, you know, I, it's a street food concept. And you're, you're my friend that goes to Mexico and eats street food pretty regularly. So let me throw it to you. What did you think of your lunch at Urbe? I enjoyed it. I certainly see the potential. I really, really like the space. The, the feel was just fantastic. That was probably the biggest takeaway for me. I, I, I was a bit limited in my options uh, as I'm uh, still following that keto deal. So there were, you know, it was a few that, that Chicharron, which is in the style of Mexico City, it was, you know, probably about the, the size of, of one of my legs, which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, over a foot long and, I mean, a really impressive uh, piece of pork skin. Absolutely. And had some soft spots in there and, and, and came with some uh, guacamole and some salsa. That's you know very reminiscent of what you would get in Mexico City. Look, queso flamiato uh, used uh, the chicharron, sort of the vehicle for that queso flamiato and came with, uh, they said charred brisket. It, uh, it was tasty. I, I didn't quite get some of the char 
but had some some nice uh, onions and peppers and really good flavor and 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 fit the bill for keto. So uh, I'm 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 looking forward to going back after they kind of get their uh, feet under them a little bit. You know, it was nice. They were all there. You could kind of feel the excitement. Service was enthusiastic. And by all, I mean, uh, Ugo and Ruben and Tracy. Um, and also their daughter, Sophia, who is now uh, who's now part of the company. So, uh, yeah, it's a true, true it's a family affair. Absolutely. So it was, it was really comfortable. Uh, I liked the menu. And um, yeah, again, you know, look forward to going back. I don't know that it'll be next week, but it'll be soon. Well, yeah, no, I, I think, I, I mean, I had the, the pastor tacos and the, the quesadilla tacos. I thought, you know, I, I, I really like the pastor quite a bit. They're cooking it on a trumpo, you know, with the roasted pineapple. It comes with a, a couple of salsas that are, that bring some real heat to the party. You know, the, the quality of the tortillas, I think was, was good, uh, both flour and corn. You know, I, quesadilla maybe a little bit more of a work in progress, but but I mean, for the first day, you know, you can tell like how much work they've put into that place and and how just excited they were to have it open. Uh, I also went for breakfast. I, I sort of snuck in uh, right at, right when they opened at around eight o'clock. Took some breakfast tacos to go uh, for the office. Tried a uh, a chilaquiles that I really enjoyed. It's kind of a twist in that there's a layer of refried black beans between the, the tortillas that gives it, you know, a little more flavor, a little more texture, a little more uh, substance. And, uh, you know, and there's a full range of, of cocktails from Sean Beck, uh, a, a full coffee program and, and a whole bunch of uh, a pastry program, all pan dolce. And then they're, they're waiting on a, a sheeter so that they can then start making croissants. And uh, it's really comprehensive and it's, you know, breakfast and lunch for now, uh, dinner to follow, but, but just, you know, I, I think sort of calling it an all day cafe feels a little bit silly, but, but this is their first all day concept. And, and I think, um, as you said, it did not read as the first day, you know, it, it the, uh, particularly the service, it, it, it's, it's, it's a serious endeavor, you know, you, I mean, I, that, that's how I felt when I was there. They are really, putting time and money into making this commitment, which I am awful. So uh, I agree with you about the Kisabidia. I thought it was just a little execution, was a little off. I was looking for a little more texture in the pastor. Uh, The flavor was really nice. To be fair, I, I, I did not enjoy the complete taco experience as I was not eating tortilla. But it's just looking for a little bit of that texture that you get on the trompo, which really elevates that bite of, of the pork. Right, and and right, getting that that sort of crispy, that little bit of crispy edge on the the pork is is an important part of the pastor experience. But I, but again, I thought I thought the flavor was there, and you know, I certainly I certainly enjoyed what I tried, and and, and I will certainly go back. I mean, this is uh, you know especially, especially as a, as a breakfast or lunch option, that's relatively close to our office. It's, it's a lot more appealing than, than some of the other nearby options. So going to be in the rotation, I think. And, and I should say, this has been a, a sensation. I mean, they've been busy uh, from day one. There's a lot of regard for 
Hugo and Tracy in this city and, and a lot of excitement about uh, trying what they've, what they've been working on for so long. I think so. I mean, I, I think the menu is, is enough to, to get you in there. And once they have you in there, the space, the service, the, the quality of ingredients that they're using will keep you there. Um, so uh, I, I would be surprised not only if both of us go back, but if both of us don't go back together. No, absolutely. All right. And then let's talk about Ishim. This is uh, the new Mexican inspired restaurant and bravery chef hall from chef Tim Redding, who worked for uh, the, or- the Ortega Vought uh, juggernaut at Caracol. Matt, let me just throw it to you. What did you, what did you think of, uh, of Ishim? I-X-I-M, by the way, for all of you Googling it at home. You know, it, it, it was interesting. My first impressions were, were a little more middle of the road. Um, it sort of stayed with me and I knew we'd be talking about it on the podcast. So I sort of just, it was in the mind. I kind of chewed over it a little more and, and it really started to grow on me a little bit. There are some challenges that, that I don't, that, that I think have to do with being um, in a food hall um, that uh, are, are a bit limiting. Um, and, I, and I don't really want to dock them for that. In, in terms of the food, I was pretty happy with it. Um, I thought the portions were fair. I have an overly salty palate, a little bit of salt for me, just a little, a little bit of acid and that agua chili would have been nice, uh, a little bit of heat. But uh, after thinking about it for a little bit, I was like, you know what? I, it, it, it created enough curiosity in me and there was enough there on our, on our first visit that uh, I was like, oh, I want to go back. I want to go back. I want to explore the menu a little bit more. You know, it's, it's a good reminder for myself. Don't be as dismissive maybe as, as your, your first, first impression. I think that's well said. I, I mean, I think there's, there's things that we legitimately enjoyed, right? I, I thought the flank steak with the grilled vegetables was really tasty. I thought the picanha with that uh, sort of tomato cucumber salad and the queso fresco was really nice. Kind of with you on the agua chili. I thought the shrimp were cooked well, but just the the leche de tigre or the 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 broth could have used just a little more, a little bit more zip. But but overall, I mean, I, I think it's a really nice. Uh, I think it's a really nice addition to Bravery Chef Hall, and and you know this has become a real dining destination between the Blind Goat and Kokoro and uh, Bo Pasta. That you know it it it's at least at that same kind of level of quality. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing I, I, I tend to use this word a lot, but uh, I'm going to use it again because I think it, it captures what I'm trying to say. It was it was interesting. You know, the flavors were interesting. The uh, ingredients were interesting, how they put, you know, different things together. A lot of the, the little accoutrements, if you will, that, that came with, you know, those tomatoes and onions that came with the picanha. Absolutely delicious. That zucchini that came with the flank steak. Yes, please. Like to me, that should be maybe, and maybe it is. I need to look at the menu and see if that's uh, an a la carte item. Just really nice flavor, cooked really well. And so, like I said, it really started to grow on me a little bit. I'm not going to say that doesn't happen. I think part of it for me was it just needed to separate more and focus on the food and, and less on the environment. And the environment's fine too. I, I enjoy bravery. I think they have some great concepts and it's a great space, 
but it, it was a little bit challenging, I think, for what he seems is doing in that environment. Right, I, right. It's just a little bit of a hassle in that each counter is sort of beverage options are limited because the food hall wants to kind of handle the beverage sales. And so there's not, you know, particularly if you're like, you're looking for a non-alcoholic option, you know, there's not sort of an obvious pairing that isn't just a glass of Topo Chico or a bottle of Topo Chico to kind of go with your meal. And that if they were a standalone restaurant that they would have beverage options available to you. I mean, I'm content to sort of, you know, find a beer or two on the list or maybe a glass of wine. Uh, but it's not, it's not that, that aspect isn't well suited. And of course you gotta, or your food at one counter, your drinks at another, you know, there's no one to bring you a refill. There's no one to sort of check on you. So yeah, those, that's just sort of life in a food hall. But I, I do think the quality of the food is good. And I, I, and this is my, my now second visit and the decision to go to bravery and sort of, you know, do I want nigiri? Do I want pizza? Do I want Vietnamese? Uh, and we haven't even mentioned Margot's Oyster Bar and they're doing some cool stuff too. But, but I, I have always liked that aspect that you can, you can do both, right? You can get a couple slices of pizza to split for the table and you could get a flank steak, you know, or an aguachile and, and just kind of make a buffet out of it. And, and I, that's what I've always enjoyed about bravery. And bravery is a great space. I, I want to be, be clear about that. Um, I just, I was just separating. I wanted to separate more about in, in my mind, just, and focus on the food and on the food, as far as it goes at Ishim, I, I, I it was, it, it's enough for me to go back and, and, and look forward to going back. Absolutely. All right, Matt, that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'll be right back with Daniel Vaughn. Joined this week by Daniel Vaughn, barbecue editor for Texas Monthly. Daniel, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for doing this. I want to kind of start at the beginning for you because we have sort of different beats, but sort of similar stories, at least from my perspective, in the sense that we both had sort of jobs in the real world before we caught lightning in a bottle and got to write about food for a living. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I went to school in New Orleans, um, so certainly thinking about a, a lot of folks in Louisiana right now uh, with the hurricane damage coming through. But I went to Tulane uh, for architecture and moved to Dallas soon after and uh, started working in an architecture firm. I did that for 12 years while uh, keeping a blog about Texas barbecue. And, uh, you know, it's it's hard to explain exactly why, but Texas Monthly took notice of the blog and wanted to partner with me and uh, ended up convincing them that, you know, taking on a full-time position as barbecue editor was in their best interest. They agreed and they hired me on. That's been eight, eight years now. Yeah, over eight years. So 2013 is when I started that journey and left architecture for good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a strange thing to go from having not being a public person and not having a public job to being a very public person in a very public job. Are you sort of used to getting recognized at this point or, or because you've been out quite a bit. I mean, what's it, what's it sort of been like for you? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly, um, you know, it's been eight years now and, you know, I haven't tried to remain anonymous in any way. Uh, you know, I, I still don't, um, you know, announce my visits or, or set up meeting times with pit masters at their restaurants. I just show up and order barbecue. Uh, but certainly more often than not these days, especially at the newer barbecue joints, I am recognized. I try to stay out of sight. Uh, you know, just recently out there searching for the top 50, I went out to uh, Riverport Barbecue in Jefferson and uh, was, I don't know, maybe the third customer of the day, uh, was able to order, uh, eat my food, and then go back to the kitchen. Uh, there's a big opening into the kitchen there uh, at Riverport and say hi to owner and pitmaster Stephen Joseph. And uh, I had genuinely surprised him. So it was good. Um, you know, this is, this is a guy that I know well. So uh, it was, it at least felt good to know that I was able to, to get a, the full meal. And, you know, I try to get as much of the experience as you can get uh, from any customer walking in at any time. Uh, but certainly I know I'm going to get recognized uh, in a lot of places. And, you know, to me, you know, maybe it just sounds like a justification, but it's barbecue after all. And whatever you've got is what you've got for the day. There's, there's not much you can do. You can't go back and like put on a new rack of ribs or throw on a fresh brisket. Cause you see me in the restaurant, like you've got what you've got. Maybe you can um, make sure to, to give me the high end of that or pick out that special brisket, but I can tell you firsthand watching, witnessing it happen. People pick out that just perfect rack of ribs or perfect brisket um, does not always work out. Uh, and in fact, I, uh, I prefer if you just cut it right off the block that you've got in front of me, you know, that's, that shows me you've got more confidence in what you're serving than if you have to go fishing for just the right brisket. Right. I, I mean, right. It's not like a, a steakhouse, right. Where they can cook a fresh steak or whatever. The barbecue was made hours ago. So it's, it's ready. It's already, it's good to go. Right. Yeah. And with the steak, you know, they, if they ruin a steak, they can just do another one and, uh, you know, it's just a little bit of a delay getting to the table, but yeah, you just can't do that with barbecue. Right. So I guess, how is the, the top 100, excuse me, I keep calling it the top 100 because I wrote a top 100. You're working on a top 50. <laughs> That's right. How, how is, how is your top 50 going? Like, what is the, what is the final deadline before you have to submit it for the, the print publication? It's done. It's done. The OMG. Yeah. No, we're done. Yeah, we uh, we actually finished up over the weekend. So uh, we have, you know, a huge amount of writing to do now and a huge amount of, uh, you know, fact checking and photography and all that good stuff. So, yeah, uh, really, we did finish up over the weekend, had a hard deadline of really yesterday um, to get in those final spots and to get in that final top 50. And, uh, you know, our uh, put together our list of honorable mentions as well, uh, which, as you might imagine, this time around with so many great new barbecue joints, so many great old barbecue joints, uh, you joke about a top 100. It wouldn't be that hard to come up with a top 100 and still have number the number 100 uh, barbecue joint in Texas still be a great barbecue joint to visit. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's the top 50 list and there are only 50 spots available and we fill them with 50 restaurants. So 
that's what we've got. And uh, it's not going to be any different this time around. It was four years ago or four years before that. Right. But I guess, I mean, you, you sort of alluded to this, the, the quality of the 50th joint in 2021 is probably considerably higher than it was in 2017 or 2013. Uh, 2013 for sure. Uh, I think 2017, you know, we'd seen a huge amount of uh, improvement in the consistency of barbecue across the state um, by 2017. But yeah, I think you're right that if you look at the 2013 list, um, yeah, the number 50 barbecue joint that we've got now would probably be somewhere around like number 10 on that list. So uh, yeah, I mean, the number 60 barbecue joint right now would be um, certainly have made that top 50 list. But you know, with popularity comes greater competition and there's just that many more people doing it really, really well. Right. I mean, you're, you're obviously out there constantly going to restaurants, but, but how long ago did you start the like intense research to get the top 50 together? Um, I mean, I really started uh, around April and uh, yeah, March. I really started around March. Our team started uh, around April, end of April. Um, you know, we had a team of, gosh, it was probably, um, it, you know, high 20s, maybe 30 staffers, uh, you know, canvassing the state based on a list that I drew up of, uh, of places that I thought had a good shot at it, or at least um, I, hadn't, I hadn't been to and had heard good things about. So in total, we visited somewhere around 415, 420, somewhere around there. I haven't tallied that all up yet uh, here at the end, but, you know, several hundred places that we went to. And, yeah, it's uh, (laughs) – there's a lot of great barbecue out there. We are so, so lucky. I mean, and then do you visit to validate for for entrance in the 50? Do you personally visit them all? If I hadn't been to it recently, then yes. Um, and, you know, there are a number of places I felt like uh, the Grim Reaper here over the last couple of weeks because uh, there were a lot of places that I hadn't been um, that I made sure to visit uh, before, you know, we made a decision to put them on the top 50 or not. And some of those made it and some of those did not uh, based on either a, a, a poor meal or a really great meal. So, yeah, uh, no, there's no places, there will be no places in the top 50 that I haven't personally been to. So just in terms of, are there sort of broad conclusions? I mean, it, I had Wayne Miller on this podcast a couple of years ago and he talked about, I don't, I, I, he didn't use this term. I'm, I'm going to sort of, but there are very similar cooking methods now, right? Mm-hmm. A lot, in the old days, a restaurant could distinguish itself with a different style of pit or different seasoning. Uh, but now it's pretty much, you know, offset smokers, maybe some rotisseries, heavy pepper rub, you know, that, that central Texas style cue is so dominant. How do places. Yeah. But hold on. You keep okay. saying, you, you say central Texas barbecue. And I, I think it's a bit of a misnomer now. I think the big city barbecue movement has taken over. And while central Texas barbecue might be the base of it, uh, I don't think any of the classic places in, in central Texas do much with like a sweet glaze on their pork ribs, but it's almost ubiquitous now uh, in the newer big city places. You know, it varies whether they put a sauce or a glaze or 
some people making simple syrup or, um, you know, putting extra sugar in the rub, either one to create that sweetness. But that's certainly a, a big change over the last four years is seeing how much those uh, sweet rubs on pork ribs have become. What are some of the other changes you've noticed in terms of style uh, the, of meat? Cookery? Well, I mean, the cheeseburger is the new sausage. Uh, you know, people who uh, trim their briskets heavily, uh, they end up with a lot of extra waste and have realized that, Instead of uh, learning how to properly grind and mix and season and stuff and case and smoke and cold smoke and chill and hot smoke a sausage link that uh, a much easier way to do it is uh, just take all those brisket trimmings, grind them up and make a burger. Uh, so the burger has certainly grown in popularity. Um, I've seen a lot more boudin and boudin in places that is not just in uh, you know, East Texas or Southeast Texas. Um, it's hard to find a place now that does not serve their barbecue on a butcher paper line tray. And that's just become the sort of de facto thing. And, and if you don't, then it's sort of becomes apparent in just the quality of the photos. You know, so many of these places now, so many of these pit masters or the cutters are so aware of the, aesthetics of the tray that they're putting together. And that has become a, a really important thing, especially in the bigger cities. Right. But with, I guess the bigger city places kind of following the same aesthetic and similar cooking styles, how do they distinguish themselves from each other or, or how do they stand out in a way that yeah. gets them onto the top 50? Well, it's like you mentioned before, you know, a lot of places are so many places are using very similar seasoning methods and smokers and woods. And, you know, just about everybody's using Oak now or says they use post Oak. Uh, I, I sometimes wonder if there's enough post Oak trees to go around in Texas to supply all the places that say they're using post Oak, but you know, I believe they're using Oak. Um, they're certainly not using very much mesquite these days, but uh, you know, so to differentiate themselves, it, it seems that a lot of, uh, a lot of places just choose to find that sort of one thing to separate themselves uh, that might be barbecue related and might not. And like I mentioned, it could be a burger. It could be like the smoked quail at Hurtado barbecue or um, birria tacos or, uh, you know, quesadilla, um, you know, could be something like the rib tips at Smokeaholics barbecue in Fort Worth, uh, you know, just find the one thing that you can replicate well and, you know, for their sake, I hope you can make money on it. Um, you know, find that thing that can make you different, but is, uh, you know, at least barbecue adjacent, whether that's a brisket burger or whether it's like, uh, well, at Bricks Barbecue in Fort Worth, they do a, a hot chicken sandwich. And now there's nothing about the chicken that's smoked, but the spices uh, that they coat the chicken in are bloomed in smoked brisket fat. So, uh, rather than in oil and spices. So, you know, trying to find that thing that is barbecue adjacent that really, um, that not a whole lot of other people are doing, uh, that people can come and get that one delicious thing along with their barbecue. And what do you make of these, all these kind of influences that are sneaking into Texas barbecue, whether it's, you know, Asian touches at a place like Bread Brothers or Tex-Mex at Valentina's or Burnt Bean Co. I mean, all of it's welcome to me. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Um, you know, I went to a, uh, 
I went to a pop-up recently in Longview, Texas, uh, that was hosted by Sunbird Barbecue, and they um, brought in Koi Barbecue from Houston, and they did a collaboration menu of all really Vietnamese uh, flavors in the barbecue, whether it was the sausage or the boudin, pork belly. Uh, they even did um, uh, pork tacos where instead of that ubiquitous birria sauce, dipping sauce, um, they did a Penang curry instead. And it was exciting. You know, it's just, it's as long as it tastes great. Uh, I'm, I'm always excited about new and different flavors. And uh, I think the idea that, um, that it's got to be done one way or that, you know, that the barbecue itself has to be just served as austere and naked as possible. Uh, I think as past us, you know, we need, uh, we need to realize that there are all these different flavors that can really come together. Well, that really go well with smoked meat. And, uh, that sometimes when you taste them, you think like, gosh, this, this, uh, this Penang curry was like meant to go with smoked brisket. Um, I mean, they just go together so well. Um, so, you know, to me, it's always exciting. Now I'm, uh, you know, I also have to realize that I go out and I eat a whole lot of like sliced brisket pork ribs. So anything that's a little bit different, I think is going to excite me a little bit more than maybe your average barbecue eater. But, um, you know, I think with the amount of places that are opening and as you talked about different places trying to separate themselves, uh, you've got to create that unique identity. And if that is, you know, doing a, a birria taco or uh, doing your own style of boudin, then, then you've got to do something to give people a reason to come at least check you out or maybe, uh, you know, turn you into their favorite place. Yeah. And how important are sides and desserts in that equation, do you think? Well, I think more than ever, they're really important nowadays, especially for what the customers demand. You know, I think, uh, um, you know, barbecue is now looked at as like a, it's, it's something you should be able to go and enjoy like a full meal. Right. Um, so, you know, you look at a place like a, a Franklin barbecue, which 10 years ago was so revolutionary in the consistent way that they smoked their brisket and the fact that they were, uh, really paying attention to using really high quality brisket that was groundbreaking 10 years ago. Um, but here in 2021, you look at their, the barbecue that they, that they make is still spectacular, but then next to it is still slaw beans and potato salad. And that's just hard to come by anymore with any place that's opened in the last five, six years. And, you know, I go to a place like interstellar barbecue in Cedar park and get, uh, smoked scallop potatoes, uh, gosh, like the smoked corn and like the, uh, the elote salad, Fijis barbecue in Houston, like all these different corn dishes. One of those things that you just barely saw even four years ago at our last list, uh, just the creativity of those sides and everything is I think uh, what draws, um, some people to a different barbecue place. And so, uh, I think these barbecue joints realize that they've got to do more if they want to appeal to a broad audience than just smoke meat really well. So let me just ask you kind of about the list itself, right? 50. Um, are you going to do a top five this year, a top 10? Have you figured that part out yet? 
Um, you know, we did a rank top 10 last time around, and that's certainly what we're leaning towards this time around. And then you, <laughs> you're not going to tell me whether or not Snows is number one again, I suppose. No, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, can you tell how many are new or how many are returning or, or is that all? Well, I mean, if, if you look at every list since 1997 was the first top 50 list and there's been a huge amount of turnover um, every list that's been published since. And this one's going to be no different. There'll be a lot of places that I love uh, some of my favorites Pitmasters, who uh, I've uh, have relationships with that be from different festivals and different events and things like that, that I know are going to be really disappointed to not be on the list. So um, yeah, there will be significant turnover in this list as well. You know, last time you had that, uh, promotion with an advertiser, uh, who I'm not going to mention cause they're not, they're not paying me, but that gave people prizes for going to all 50 restaurants. Do you, you anticipate anything like that this time? Oh yeah. Yeah. We've, we've got the barbecue passport is coming back. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we're putting that together right along with the, the issue. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what the prizes are going to be. There will be prizes. There will be a, a book with all 50 places listed that you can get stamped. And so, yeah, we're hoping that uh, certainly drives business to a lot of these places that we think are, you know, doing really great stuff and who, uh, you know, are maybe a little further afield than the, you know, Houston area, Dallas area. Uh, one one much, suggestion much, based on yeah. feedback from people who, who took that task on uh, one person, one stamp. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a nice idea, but you also dealing with a, a restaurant employee at a cash register um, who's been, you know, given rules about what they're supposed to be doing versus, uh, you know, some pushy customer saying it's got to, I, I, you know, just come on, come on, do it, do it one more. <laughs> uh, I will say that with the stamps, Last time around, we started with stickers and moved to stamps because uh, we ran out of stickers so fast. And we're just going to start with stamps because the stickers, uh, people started grabbing sheets of stickers and mailing them to friends, uh, which, you know, come on, people. It's, right. <laughs> it's some prizes here and there, right? It's not like you're going to win a new car. Uh, you know, do it the right way. Go out and enjoy these barbecue places. Don't show up and order, order banana pudding just so you can get your sticker. Right. Get a, right. At least get a sandwich. Right. I mean, yeah. not that, not that you can enforce any kind of minimum purchase, but right. Experience the barbecue joint as the barbecue joint. Exactly. Um, and then, uh, and then let's, let's turn sort of to, to Houston specifically. I mean, I, it's, it's been a very dynamic uh, four years for us, I would say. Mm -hmm. What do you kind of see as the, the strengths of the Houston barbecue scene right now? Well, I mean, it's, it's biggest strength is just the fact that the, the city, the, what is considered the, you know, the Houston area is so massive and now pretty much every corner of it has a great barbecue joint, right? I think last time around you couldn't go out to Katie really and, and get much good barbecue and Katie is now this blossoming area with, uh, with lots of great barbecue. You go out to Dozier's and full shear, um, you know, up in Tomball at Tejas, Corkscrew in Spring, you got Killens down in Pearland, and the fact that Killens also has a Woodlands location. 
Um, and then all these, you know, newish places in the middle of the city too, with, uh, you know, truth, um, having their second location there and Pinkerton's pit room Gatlin's. I mean, it's, there's just so many great places. Uh, the only problem is trying to get to them all in a day. <laughs> Not in our uh, traffic. Yeah. So, you know, JC Reed from the Houston Chronicle is on our tasting team. And so he did not have the Houston area uh, by design, but he did help me in the Houston area. So I would, I, I went to Beaumont for a meal um, at 1701 barbecue and finished the meal and called him and said, all right, um, here's my ETA to truth barbecue. Get, if you could get in line so that uh, you're, you're toward the front of the line when I get there and you can order and we can eat and then we can make it to a third stop on the same day. So, uh, yeah, some certainly some logistics involved, uh, even if you're not in Beaumont. I mean, getting from Tomball or Spring down to Pearland is, uh, can be a bit of a feat, especially depending on traffic. So that's certainly the biggest hindrance um, as compared to, say, a road trip in the middle of Austin where – you're in the same zip code and go into like five or six great places. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I always enjoy my visits to Tejas, but it's, I mean, it's fully like 45 minutes to an hour from my house near downtown to get up to Tomball. So it's a, yeah, it's a commitment. And that's paying some tolls just to get there. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think about a place like, like blood brothers and it's not that they, they don't do the Trinity and it's not that it isn't good, but that like going there and just getting brisket ribs and sausage is kind of missing the point because the specials yeah. are always so compelling. Yeah, it is. Um, but I know that they feel really strongly that they've got to, you know, perform well and, and do a really good, do really well on the basics uh, because so many of their customers are coming in from the neighborhood, just expecting that brisket sandwich or, or a good rack of ribs. Whereas you and I are going in there like, eh, there's no way I'm just going to order like some a sliced brisket and ribs here when they've got like, you know, green chili tie, you know, green chili, cur- green curry boudin. Uh, right. Goju John pork ribs. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, that, those are the things that I'm certainly going to be ordering. And, um, you know, I think, I think one of the things, e- even with those, uh, you know, I, I guess you could call them fusion items, even though I hate that word. Uh, is, you know, a few years ago, that would be a place just to hide bad barbecue, right? That would be, well, you can do this with it and it tastes really good, even if the barbecue is not so great. But now the places that are doing these dishes are starting with really great barbecue and then putting them into these, uh, these unique dishes. Right. And then with respect to sort of these different culinary traditions, I mean, do you, you try to balance out like, we need a certain, we, we want to include a black owned perspective. We want to include Tex-Mex. We want to, you know, to try to respect what these different traditions mean to Texas barbecue as a whole. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of that comes in uh, sort of 400 or so places that I laid out to go visit it is to be incredibly inclusive uh, from an, a diversity and an ownership standpoint, geographically, um, you know, small town, big city, all those things. But, uh, you know, in the end, when it comes down to the scores and it comes down to the 50, it's really, you know, who's doing the best barbecue. And, um, you know, there's, there's never a time where 
having a great lineup of sides and desserts is going to put you on the list alone. Uh, but there's certainly a time where having those, you know, great sides, unique options, other things along with really great barbecue is going to put you um, in there instead of a place that's only doing really good barbecue. Right. There is a, there is one other thing I wanted to ask you about. You, uh, you wrote a book, the profits of smoked meat for uh, Anthony Bourdain's imprint. I was wondering if you had one good Bourdain story that you could share. Oh, one good Bourdain story. Well, uh, yeah, there was news today that uh, John Miller is going to be coming on at Hutchins Barbecue. Hutchins is reopening in McKinney, their original location after it's been closed since January. Um, but, uh, you know, now he's working for Hutchins. But way back when he was he had his own place in Austin, uh, the J. Miller Barbecue Trailer. And I think it was in 2012 uh, or 2013, the the story of meat and men came out in Texas monthly written by Katie vine. And it was the cover story. And there was Aaron Franklin and John Miller on the cover together. And back then it was like, you know, which one of these two guys is going to become the king of Austin barbecue. And that is when I was filming with Bourdain for no reservations. And so we started at, uh, we started the whole plan with, you know, wanting to go to Franklin barbecue and try that. And I convinced, uh, the production team and Bourdain really. So I needed to convince that, uh, it would really be, we were, really wouldn't be doing Austin barbecue justice in the moment if we didn't go to John Miller's. And so we had, uh, I had already gotten over the shock of, of, um, meeting Bourdain and like, you know, like, you know, the, with the camera on and everything, all that angst that comes along with it uh, of trying to match him and, you know, charisma and wit, which is impossible. Uh, but I would already kind of gotten over that with the Franklin visit. Right. So then we, a couple of days later, we visited John Miller and it was just great. Cause I was standing in, in line. I was kind of in the middle of the line, saving a spot for him and, chatting up Texas barbecue with some people in front of me and behind me who were out uh, from in, from out of town, just give them all these barbecue recommendations. And, uh, and then this SUV pulls up, Bourdain gets out and uh, he's obviously like just the look on his face. He's so hung over from the night before he had just gotten a new tattoo from like a drummer of a band. And he just walks straight up to me. He's like, Hey, good morning, Daniel. How you doing today? Um, uh, it's time for some barbecue. And the people around me were just like, Oh my God, he's coming to meet you. Like (laughs) who the hell are you? Right. Who the hell are you? He's coming to meet you in this line. And uh, yeah, we, we got a a great tray of barbecue, of course, a giant beef rib. And yeah, the, one of the benefits of just sitting there eating with Bourdain is that uh, just bottles of bourbon, like, uh, yeah, just bottles of great bourbon start getting sat at the table. Just like here, uh, have we got a half a bottle left? Uh, it's on me. <laughs> and so we we drank well and we ate well, and I had nothing else that I had to do that day. So uh, yeah, that was a blast, and I didn't have any of that sort of angst from that first visit uh, that I had at Franklin Barbecue. It was uh, just a lot more relaxed, and yeah, it was a that was a great day. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. 
Daniel Vaughn, what is your favorite non-brisket meat to order at a barbecue restaurant? Pork steak. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Garth Brooks. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oh, uh, Big Mac. I usually ask Houston people for their favorite Houston sports figure. But since you're in Dallas, I'll ask you your favorite Dallas sports figure, past or present. Dirk. And then finally, when you are ordering a pizza, what are your go-to toppings? Uh, Pepperoni, hot peppers, and mushrooms. Daniel, I feel like everyone who's listening to this probably already follows you on Instagram, but but give people your your Instagram and Texas Monthly's website and all that so they can get ready for the top 50. Yeah. Uh, So uh, we have our own barbecue channel on Texas Monthly, so you can just click on it on the front page or go to texasmonthly.com slash bbq. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BBQ Snob. Daniel, thanks so much. Thank you. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.